Welcome to Sky Women. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Moyers, a wife, mom, and board-certified OB-GYN. This is a place to educate, empower, and inspire. Join us each week as we share the power of women's stories. Real women, real stories, real inspiration. Put on your stretchy pants. Let's get going. Welcome, Sky community. Welcome back to another episode of Sky Women. You are going to be so glad that you showed up today because we have our first male guest. I am going to introduce to you Dr. Adam Harrison. He's a family physician, a lawyer, and leadership coach who, as a result of his own personal experiences, specializes in confidence and mindset coaching for professionals who have been on the receiving end of workplace bullying. But most recently, Dr. Harrison is starting a podcast, has started a podcast called Inspiring Women Leaders. And whenever I heard this, I had the pleasure of knowing Adam through some previous coaching that we've done through Physician Business School. And when I heard that he was starting this podcast to showcase the extensive leadership of women sharing knowledge and practical skills of these incredible women, many of whom I know, I was completely on board to see a man stepping into the arena for the equality of women and recognizing that there is a problem. And we're just going to get into it with Adam today as far as his why. Welcome, Dr. Harrison. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Moyers. I am very, very honored. I can't tell you how, uh, how much of a privilege this is to be your first male guest. I'm blown away <laughs> that, you, that you invited me. So thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. This is just really incredible to see a man who is confident and brave enough to stand up with your core values of honesty and justice and gratitude and love and humor and say that the space of women in leadership truly matters. So, you know, just tell us what kind of led, I mean, everyone's got a story, right? And your collection of skills. I mean, let's start with the fact that you're a physician and an attorney. (laughs) (laughs) Your collection of skills have led you to this unique role, this unique time in life. And you felt this calling to really start to amplify the voice of women. Yeah. Well, I think the calling really started almost three years ago now. And we had, um, we just moved to Australia for my wife's fellowship. She's a, she's now an attending maxillofacial surgeon. And uh, we'd been in Australia about a month. And I remember having a conversation with a, a, a good friend of mine, a female leader, a fellow doctor. And I said, you know, I've, it just, it's occurred to me that over the years, you know, working as a doctor and working in medical leadership and, you know, kind of through my, my coaching journey, I've just encountered so many incredible an impressive, inspiring women leaders. And, you know, I'd really like to highlight this and showcase this. And, and at the time I was talking about, we were only supposed to be in Australia for a year, but obviously the pandemic happened and we ended up being away in Australia and New Zealand for two years. And the idea was that when we got back after a year, I was going to kind of create a conference and kind of, you know, bring all these, these women together and, you know, invite, you know, female junior doctors primarily to see how, you know, to, to have sort of visible and tangible examples of really great female leadership that they could look up to and, and aspire to become like. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where it all came from. And obviously, you know, we were away for longer than anticipated. And then, you know, joining Dr. Una's business school with yourself, 
I be, first became aware of Dr. Una through her podcast. Yes. Um, in fact, same. Was, yeah. It's it's just it's just an amazing, amazing curation of wonderful advice, isn't it, for wannabe physician entrepreneurs. And and actually I first heard her on Dr. Erin Wiseman's podcast. Mm-hmm. But then I got hooked on Dr. Una's podcast. And uh, you know, and then joining the business school and other, you know, of our classmates were setting up podcast creating podcasts and whatever and I was like oh yeah you know that 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 I could do that then right it doesn't matter where I'm in the world I don't have to physically be somewhere to create a conference you know to do it I can have a podcast and interview these amazing female leaders and just share it with the world rather than just having a one-day conference for a select group of people so yeah it kind of evolved into into what it is now a very fledgling podcast second episode uh released today so that's oh it's, it's it's new it's budding it's um it's an <laughs> infancy stage right so it yeah. needs a little nurturing to get on its legs it really does you know, i mean you have access to a wealth of women physicians your wife being a physician being involved in the entre md business school has opened up your you know the door to so many i know here in the u.s the spirit with which you come with this is um, really infectious because I know that there's there's a why behind this. So talk to us a little bit about your why, because I hear you talking about, you know, your idea for the conference really wasn't just to empower, you know, the, the physicians who are already established in their career, but you're talking about the young physicians in training, you're wanting to yeah. show women what is possible in leadership as they advance in their career and how to do yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To serve as sources of inspiration for the coming generations, you know, the the title of it is Inspiring Women Leaders and it's, you know, the women leaders are inspiring, but they, they in turn are inspiring the members of the audience. But yeah, I honestly, I feel... I don't want to go down a, a kind of a dark rabbit hole, but I feel like society has shifted a little bit over the last few years. And actually in a, in a retrograde way, I think that there is more, a bit more kind of anti-female sentiment, a bit more repression or attempts at repression. You know, I think, I don't want to get political, but I think we've seen that through, you know, the the Trump administration. And I think in the UK as well, you know, we have mini, mini Trump over here. And I don't want to think that my imagination is running away with itself because I'm an avid fan of The Handmaid's Tale. But I, I, you know, it kind of, (laughs) I have two daughters, I have two young daughters and their future obviously is my primary concern. And I want them to be in workplaces where there is a, a kind culture and I have found that of all the leaders that I worked with over the years, the vast majority, and obviously the female leaders were in the minority, but the majority of the better leaders were female, which says a lot for the majority of leaders who were male, that most of them were pretty average or not very good, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I think that I'm, I'm referring to Dr. Una again, but, uh, you know, it's very fresh, her, my interview with her, and she talks about our legacy, you know, and and, and your legacy is, is Sky Women's Health, it's Sky Women's Podcast, and um, all things pertaining to that. And I guess this is, uh, my podcast is going to be part of my legacy for my my daughters to see that, you know, uh, our dad did his 
did his what he followed his values he did what he felt was right and he did his bit in his small kind of part of the world to try and help and yeah so that's partly it but also i you know in my in my introductory episode to my podcast i talk about my upbringing and you know my parents divorced when i think i was five five or six and my mum um remarried quite quickly and my stepfather was working a lot so essentially myself and my two sisters who were you know through my mum's second marriage so but we were very very close because we're all my mum's kids mm-hmm. and we were all we were always together um all of the time with with my mum and even though <laughs> she actually at one point worked three jobs i mean we were wow. we we came from a a fairly a fairly poor background mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was the first person to go to university in the family. So, you know, but despite that, she was, she was around for us all of the time and, and she really nurtured us. So it almost felt like we were being brought up exclusively by my mum. Okay. Yet she was able to, you know, kind of do all these other things and contribute to the the household financially and and so on as well. So, you know, my mum was a, a real inspiration to me from the early days and you know growing up with my sisters in in was which was in a challenging environment because my mum and stepfather's marriage was fairly turbulent and there was some kind of domestic issues kind of made us a lot closer but despite all of that my sisters have gone on to achieve and and do well and then you know I guess it was almost preordained that I ended up marrying my wife because she she comes from a a similarly kind of working class and challenging but in a different way challenging background but in a different way she's a daughter of um Pakistani immigrants she was born in the UK but she's daughter of Pakistani immigrants so that comes with its own challenges sure but to see her and hear her story is yeah has, has been has been equally inspiring to follow her career over the over the uh, decades now, <laughs> but um, o- over the over the years, despite everything, you know, despite you know being a mum of two kids, taking time out to do her masters in medical education and various fellowships and, and things, and to achieve and to be as well regarded, revered, respected as she is by every everyone in the workplace whose lives she touches, from her patients to her all of her colleagues from you know, the most kind of low grade clerical assistant up to chief executives and people like that, anyone that she interacts with there, they can't fail to be impressed by her because she's just down to earth and an amazing team player and, re- you know, really caring. It's funny, the, the, the unit that she's now attending in where she was a trainee for a few years, you know, the attendings at the time who are now obviously her immediate colleagues, they were always very keen for her to come back because they felt like she was the the mother hen. She's okay. like one of the, the the only female member of staff of her grade uh-huh. in the unit, and so she used to organise them and, and 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 sort them out. And they're just lazy boys, basically. <laughs> and she she would just kind of get you know get all their ducks in a row for them. Sure, um, sure. And, so and, I love I love Adam how you talk about your wife. I mean, it's obvious that you adore her. And, and that her strength really inspires you as well. But I actually, 
what I'm drawn to in that story is being a mom of four and knowing what it takes to have a career and to do a fellowship and, you know, all of these things. All I can think is she didn't do it alone. And she was able to do all those things because of your support at home, because your girls are small They're I mean, they're five and eight years old. I have a six and an eight year old and a couple of more, but you know, so I know like how taxing that, that age category is. And oh, those yes. younger years are a lot of hands-on physically taxing yeah. work. And so it's really amazing whenever I see a man who is willing to step up. I mean, my husband plays that role in our family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess there's, there is, there is stepping up, although, you know, I, I guess it's, it's sort of stepping, stepping into yeah. the role, which is just normal and natural for me. I mean, we always wanted to bring our kids up ourselves. You know, we have, you know, fellow doctor colleagues who are friends who have nannies and au pairs and, and, and things like that, who, sure. you know, pretty much raise their kids. We never wanted to be parents like that. So it was finding a way where, you know, we could both work in the way that we wanted to and raise our kids. And it is really, really tricky. And, and, you know, as well as stepping up and stepping into there was, there's, there was an element of stepping back because when I, when I qualified as an attorney and I was uh, passed the bar exam in October, 2014, and there was a big decision to be made then because my wife was on a very well established training pathway, you know, uh, that was heading in the direction of attending. And it was a, you know, it was an inevitability that she would get an attending position. Mm -hmm. And I was right back on the bottom rung of a legal career. And, you know, I I was like, well, you know, I'm going to be working. I'm going to be given briefs at midnight the night before, and I'm going to be up all night, you know, kind of reading these papers. And I'm going to have to be in some far-flung county court. Mm-hmm. in eight in the morning, you know, for absolute pittance of a pay that doesn't even cover your train fare to the court kind of thing. And, you know, can I, can I do this, uh, you know, uh, as a real newbie at the kind of inception of my career, is that really compatible? Who, who's, whose career is more important? Who's we're going to put first, you know, whilst being mindful of the fact we want to raise our kids ourselves. And I just, I just said, well, look, you know, I can, I can do other things with my legal qualifications, you know, and as it was, I ended up using them as a way to get into medical leadership roles. But, you know, I just said to her, you, you are on the established pathway and, you know, she has a a degree in dentistry and a degree in medicine, right? like 10 years as an undergrad (laughs) and then all the junior doctor training. And it's like, yeah, I feel like you need to run with your career dream and I will figure it out. And that worked well. I could be flexible, more flexible. And I did, you know, some clinical practice and some medical education and my medical leadership things. And I still managed to kind of have a, a day with my uh, my eldest when she was very young, a day a week. And 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 now as it is, you know, I I probably do eight out of 10 of the school drop-offs and pickups. But I can, you know, I'm I'm a full-time coach now, so I can work my schedule around that. And I love what I do even more. So was um, going to law school, that was after medicine. So you were already a a family medicine attending. Yeah. 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 I, it wasn't until, yeah, 2011, like the fall of 2011, that I started law school. Okay. So, and so you had been a physician for how long at that point? 11 years. 
Just okay. Years. okay. So you had a, a good decade of experience under your belt and mm-hmm. what drove you to go to law school at that point? I think I had, most doctors start off with this kind of idealistic notion that they're going to, you know, save the world and save people and, and, totally. and that's going to totally. satisfy us. Right. But I, I, I think I fairly soon discovered that I was a somewhat reluctant doctor and it hit me probably Well, it it hit me after a few years because initially I did surgical training. So I was a a surgical resident. Okay. But I had a a lot of challenging experiences that have, you know, contributed towards my specialism in workplace bullying coaching now. Mm, You mean Um, medical education? You experience bullying? (laughs) Well, as... As as a as a trainee, yeah, I, yeah. Yes. I, I mean, I say that with a lot of sarcasm because yeah. it's yeah, yeah, so yeah. prevalent. Um, it's so prevalent. Yeah, it really is. And at the time, they were all surgical jobs, you know. And I've since discovered through the clients I work with, it it isn't just surgeons that bully their their trainees, but it was for me. Except then, so I had a, a rethink, and I thought, well, look, you know, if I do family medicine, I will have more autonomy. I won't be kind of like, you know, working for a boss kind of thing. And family physicians, I don't know if it's like like this in the states, but in the UK, you know, they're generally regarded to be quite touchy feely, quite lovely. You know, they look after patients from cradle to grave, right? And yeah, and they're you know, it's a bit this old, quite pejorative now cliches of them you know cardigan wearing tree hugging you know kind of <laughs> yeah elbow patches on the jackets kind of yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, just lovely lovely people and it's it's interesting because in in the UK family medicine clinics are in the main small businesses and you as a as a family physician you own the practice you own the clinic right. and you contract you contract your services or subcontract in a way back to the National Health Service to the Government Department of Health. Okay. So actually, they're small business people and they're quite cutthroat. And oh. I did not consider that for one moment. Okay. So I had similar kind of workplace bullying problems as a junior family physician. Wow. Okay. So I just got, and I, I'd always had an interest in medical law ever since I graduated from med school. I was originally wanted to do forensic pathology. I wanted to be that, you know, that pathologist who kind of like diagnoses the cause of death from you know murders and exciting stuff like that right yeah yeah yeah. and uh yeah that that kind of that that pathway didn't work out but I'd always had a a strong interest in the interface between medicine and law so I think to scratch that itch and it just kept revisiting me every few years was oh I must do something about that so I ended up working for an organization that represents doctors who get into medico legal problems so if they're sued by patients or if they facing disciplinary action by the medical board Mm -hmm. or if they have particularly you know contentious complaints by patients like these bodies would represent them they're called indemnity organizations uh, medical defense unions and uh yeah so then I, i went and worked and so i was advising doctors about medical legal matters but when the cases were really really interesting you had to hand them on to the legally qualified people Mm. and I was like being a bit of a completer finisher I was like oh I want to do that bit so but I have to go to law school to do that bit so I see see. fascinating so you and your wife have really 
supported each other through different pivots and pathways of training. Yeah. Which is really awesome. That's really awesome. So I hear you were raised by a strong woman who could figure out how to work three jobs and still have her three kids feel like that they were raised solely by her, which is (laughs) amazing. You married a very strong woman and now you're raising daughters and you understand to some degree, the, the plight and bullying that can goes on with women in yeah. the workplace or in general, right. And yeah. the autonomy of our, our rights and education and et cetera, how much that matters. So what is it in your legacy that you really hope that your daughters know about dad? <laughs> well, I, well, I, I hope, as I said before, that they, um, that they know that through my my podcast and my my wider work because I I like to work with organisations and help their leadership cultures become kinder and less less toxic. That I kind of you know contributed towards kinder workplaces and and less workplace bullying, and to you know raise the profile of women leaders because there are some incredible female leaders who are just overlooked. And I was having a conversation only yesterday with a a chair of a an allergy department in the US who's a client. And, you know, she was talking about this, this culture of, you know, all the male attendings and the male CEO kind of like fist bumping each other when they, mm-hmm. they meet up and, you know, going for beers together. And and she's like, yeah, don't, don't have a seat at that table. And, you know, interviewing one of our classmates, uh, Dr. Dawn Sears, mm-hmm. who talked about, you know, being at a, you know, one of the very few chairs of hepatology in the States at that time. And at a national hepatology conference where she was a, like a keynote speaker and panelist. And there were 10, 10 of these panel members on this, on the stage answering questions. And she was the only female. And at the end of the event, the, all the, the male, the nine male colleagues were like so we're going to go down the bar let's go and have some beers and whatever we'll see you tomorrow dawn Mm. not 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 even you know invite her or she might not want to come she probably won't want to come you know you know kind of like them making assumptions but you know not even thinking to invite her just assuming that or or actually more perhaps more deliberate than that just excluding her right and so that really that really bothers me and so to to kind of do my bit to say to my daughters that I I've I've helped with this culture so that you know those 10 panel members on a stage would be five and five and they would all go for a meal together afterwards or at least everyone would be invited. But so you so, want to level yeah. the playing field so that they have a seat at the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure, for sure. And yeah, also to inspire them to to go into leadership and to as you know, as a coach to kind of give them some skills that maybe some of their peers don't have in terms of growth mm-hmm. mindset, emotional intelligence, values, values-driven leadership, that kind of stuff. Beautiful. So. That's beautiful. I love it. So I want to chat with you about something that came up at a recent conference for female physicians. So I've been to two this spring and both incredibly beautiful. You mentioned Dawn Sears. So she was one of the founders of the Authenticity, Courage, and Empowerment yeah. for Women Physician Conference, which I had the pleasure of speaking at and just phenomenal human being. 
But when I was at Pinnacle Conference for female physicians just recently, there was a discussion about effective negotiations. And when we were talking about negotiating it as, as a female, whenever we play like the men, right? So we play that male role and we're negotiating like a man, it doesn't come across well. And so we were given these new suggestions to play into the female stereotypes. So the feminist in me is a bit like, you know, balking at this idea, but I want to hear your thoughts on it. So they said, whenever we're negotiating, that we should be kind and caring using those nonverbal cues, body language, tone of voice, do it with a smile, you know, active listening, reflect back what we hear. We should think about the community and how what we're asking for positively affects the the community around us, whether that's our department or our practice or whatever. And number three was to collaborate, not command. So keep in mind in a negotiation setting, like we're asking for something we need or we're advocating for something that either we personally need or we feel like our department needs or whatever. And we're not supposed to be commanding, but we're supposed to collaborate and maybe reflect back, how does this look to you? You know, like a simple open-ended question. And so it's interesting that people are looking at this. Studies have come out and they're saying that as a female negotiating, we really need to play into these female stereotypes to negotiate effectively and get what we need or want. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Firstly, I think that the approach that you've described there is the approach that everyone should be taking, whether they are male or female. Okay. So I'm a huge fan of kind leadership, compassionate leadership, servant leadership, inclusive leadership, and negotiating is a skill that leaders have to use all the time. Right. Right. So rather than labeling it as female skills or female traits or something like that. Like that's the kind of stuff I would do. Okay. Like I'd be smiling. I mean, I'd be being kind and pleasant and courteous and civil and not being aggressive and not being a command and control authoritarian person. Cause someone who kind of like bangs the table at negotiation, I'm sorry, they can just, you know, they can just yeah. do one. Uh, <laughs> they're not, they're not getting anything from me. That's that, that negotiation is not going well. Right. Everyone needs to say calm and kind. It doesn't equate to passive though. Okay. So I don't think the kindness and assertiveness are mutually exclusive. Okay. Right. So, you know, and I know there's that, that really awful kind of judgment that's sometimes made that a woman who's assertive is a B-I-T-C-H. Mm-hmm. Whereas if a man does it, they're just being assertive. Mm-hmm. You know, that's BS. Mm-hmm. Uh, assertiveness is assertiveness, whether you're whether you're male or female. So I think you have to be kind in these situations, and you have to be, you know, all of the kind of emotional intelligence things that we, talk, you know, like you have to be self aware, you have to be empathic, you have to be able to regulate yourself and regulate your emotions and so on, and not kind of be a command and control mm-hmm. jackass at the negotiation table. Yeah. So I would be, you know, far from there being them being traits that you should encourage just female leaders to adopt. They should be traits that everyone should be encouraged to adopt, but not to not at the expense of assertiveness, because you have to you have to maintain your boundaries, draw your lines, say no when you want to say no, 
Mm-hmm. And that really is when it's in alignment with your values or not. Right. You know, so. I remember as a chief resident, a senior resident, my junior saying, telling me a story about something that an intern had said. And it's something that I had said in the past. And he's like, yeah, but she's not Moyers. You can get stuff done because you say it with a smile. <laughs> and I always like kept that in the back of my head as I went mm. off, to, you know, as an attending, because he was right. Like I lead through enthusiastic, you know, this enthusiastic yeah. and I'm going to do it with kindness. I'm going to say it with a smile and they're going to buy in because they're like, okay, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. just be kind, let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that's just a, I think it's a generally good human skill or trait to have. You know, if I, if I want to persuade someone of something or I want to influence something in a way that a direction I want things to move because that's in alignment with my values, you know, like if it's a, something to do with a colleague or a work-related matter or something to do with patient care or something, I'm going to do what I can to get my own way in, in for something I believe is right. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to kill with kindness. I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, schmooze and be nice and friendly. So mm-hmm. oh, we can't possibly say no to that guy. He's so nice. <laughs> what's, yeah. I don't know what's wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. It's a great tactic <laughs> <laughs> for men and women. Yes. Agree. Yeah. Agree. Well, Adam, it's been such a pleasure having you on. Uh, Thank you so much for lending your expertise, your allyship for the equality of women and leadership of women and for your your accent. It's lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, can't do much about that, but I'm glad you like it. (laughs) Please tell my guest where they can find you and where they can listen to your podcast. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, it's um, Inspiring Women Leaders. And I, I did do a little bit, of, it's called Inspiring Women Leaders. I did do a bit of research before, before I named it, but there are a few podcasts with a similar title. So you just have to probably put my name, Inspiring Women Leaders, Dr. Adam Harrison in to find it. But it's on the Buzzsprout website currently, and it's on Spotify currently. Apple are kind of dragging their, their feet a little bit at the moment, but it will oh be on God, Apple, I'm sure. So yeah, so Inspiring Women Leaders hosted by me. My website is www dradamharrison.com d-r-a-d-a-m-h-a-r-r-i-s-o-n.com i'm on linkedin quite a lot just as dr adam harrison and yeah i'm on all the others facebook and instagram and twitter but to and greater you, and lesser i mean extent. you're all the places you're in all that's the true places. yeah but i'm spread too thinly i have to <laughs> that's how it feels i don't have a va <laughs> yes yeah so you need an assistant at this point <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us this has been a pleasure until next week be well All right, Sky community, thank you for listening to another episode. This episode was sponsored by Sky Women's Health. As a reminder, we're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and we help relieve back pain and pelvic pain in pregnancy and beyond. If you are pregnant and having pain and you feel like you have no reliable way to relieve it, look us up at skywomenshealth.com, request an appointment, and we'll call to get you scheduled. As a board-certified OB-GYN with a Neuromusculoskeletal Medicine Fellowship, I help you realign with hands-on drug-free treatment and relieve pain on the spot without medication. We'll help you maintain these results through your pregnancy and postpartum period. Every pregnant person deserves this, and we are so excited to serve you. 
You can find us on our website, as mentioned, or on social at Sky Women's Health, or you can call the office at 817-915-9803. That's it for today. Until next week, be well.